Hey, thanks for listening to Sprawlcast. If you value in-depth Calgary journalism, please pitch in to make it happen. Most of our members pitch in a few dollars a month, and we'd love to have you on board. You can sign up at sprawlcalgary.com. The next stop, Sprawlcast. You're listening to Sprawlcast. My name is Jeremy Klossus, and I'm the editor-in-chief of The Sprawl. Sprawlcast is made in collaboration with CJSW 90.9 FM in Calgary. And we are broadcasting slash podcasting from Treaty 7 territory. Sprawlcast is a show for curious Calgarians who want a deeper understanding of the place they call home. We go deep to bring you local stories that matter. Stories like this one. Just this Saturday, the City of Calgary approved a plan for reducing zoning red tape and building housing by public transit. This is a step in the right direction. Rent and buying houses, it's a survival of the richest environment. What are you doing for people today? Today. And in particular, we encourage council to vote against blanket upzoning and removal of parking minimums. So let the people decide through a clear plebiscite or at the next election. It was a public hearing for the ages. I'm referring to the discussion over Calgary's new housing strategy, which council approved after a three-day committee meeting, including two days of public speakers. We'll get to that in a bit. But first, let's start right outside the doors of City Hall. What do we want? When do we want it? That was a pro-housing rally outside City Hall on September 14th, the day this meeting on the housing strategy kicked off. The strategy has a bunch of actions in it. One is for the city to make more land available near transit for housing, including non-market housing. Another is to make RCG the base level of zoning in Calgary, to allow for townhouses and row houses along single-family homes and duplexes. This is sometimes referred to as ending exclusionary zoning, or alternatively, as upzoning or blanket rezoning. What you call it probably depends on your viewpoint on this particular issue. The strategy also directs City Hall to investigate different models and possibilities for rent control, and to present these findings to the Alberta government. We can't have rent control in this province without changes to the Municipal Government Act, which is provincial. We need provincial tools to let this city council do what we need them to do to ensure affordable housing in this community. Thank you. That was Gil McGowan with the Alberta Federation of Labour speaking at the rally. Enam Teja was one of the Calgarians who attended the protest. Calgary is well below uh, what we need to be in terms of non-market affordable housing units. Uh, We don't have the zoning requirements for the kind of diversity that we need in our neighbourhoods. And and for me that means when I move out of my parents' basement, um, I won't have a starter home in my neighbourhood because it's all single detached homes. And there's no way that I'll be able to afford that even with a solid salary. So that's a little of what was happening outside City Hall. We're going to head inside and hear how this all went down. 
Federal Housing Minister Sean Fraser sent a letter to Mayor Jody Gondick that morning saying Calgary would only get federal funding from the Housing Accelerator program if it approved the strategy, including the rezoning. But here's where things get interesting. The federal Liberals and Conservatives have been saying almost the exact same thing on this file. Calgary Nose Hill MP Michelle Rempel-Garner has accused certain Calgary councillors of pandering to so-called NIMBY votes. And earlier in September, Conservative MP and housing critic Scott Aitchison urged council to approve the strategy, including the rezoning. He wrote, We won't close this divide with half measures. We won't get there with another pilot project. We won't get there by ignoring the solutions that experts have already presented to you. End quote. But even though rezoning is part of the strategy that's been approved, it's not law yet. City Hall needs to draft up new land use bylaws, and those will still need to be approved by council, and there will be a public hearing on specifically those bylaws. We're going to hear what Calgarians had to say about those moves, but first I want to quickly revisit something from the last Sprawlcast episode. I talked about how cities like New York City and Halifax have cracked down on Airbnbs and other short-term rentals in response to the housing shortage. And I said that besides tweaking its regulations earlier this year, City Hall has kept its hands off that particular lever. In that episode, I neglected to mention an important bit of information. Last November, the city commissioned University of Calgary researchers to do a $300,000 study on Calgary's short-term rental market. And while the results aren't out yet, the city's community planning director, Deborah Hamilton, gave an indication to council members of what the study has found so far. Currently in Calgary, we have about 5,000 short-term rentals. Uh, Early conversations and early report back from the UFC indicates that the majority of our short-term rentals are transitory, meaning that people rent them out for a month here or there throughout the year, uh, specifically around stampede time, so they would not early indications add um, much back to the housing uh, rental pool if we made significant changes. On the first day of the public hearing on the housing strategy, pretty much everyone spoke in favour of the recommendations. Hello to everybody. My name is Nijana Bora. I'm from Kharkiv, Ukraine. I'm arriving in Canada to Calgary three months ago. From the first day we were here, I started look, looking for a home. We looked at apartment every day. But we were refuted for uh, various reasons. First, we have a small child, three years old. Yeah. And she might make noise and some discomfort for the newborns. We have no credit history, so it's impossible for newcomers. And our six month rent must be paid. Here's Kelly Ernst the chief program officer at the Centre for Newcomers. Five years ago, nobody showed up at the Centre for Newcomers with suitcases. We now see that in regular frequency. Even this week, 
families showing up with their suitcases at our center saying, I've lost my home or I've arrived and I have no place to stay. What do I do now? My name is Hazen Elwood, but my friends call me Biz. Counselors who vote yes get uh, automatic admittance to the list. Um, here's a broad stroke. Unsurprisingly, my job does not pay me enough to decide whether or not I like living with my parents. Even less, once you factor in the master's degree that I have to expedite so that I don't get priced out of this city. This economy forces me to live with my parents where I likely could remain until I'm 30. Now I'm lucky that my parents actually like me and I'm not here saying that I'm forced to leave like my beautiful trans and queer friends who otherwise keep in the closet because homelessness is a fear greater than a crushed soul. A secondary function of this year's Pride Festival was networking, networking between queer folks who hope to have a bed and a roof for the next 30 days. Economic policy and social policy are one and the same. These are not disconnected or zero-sum silos. These are complex problems that we all stand to gain some equity from. That's why I urge the committee to support the housing strategy, including all 33 actions previously outlined by the task force. My name is Mateusz Salmasi, and I'm the Vice President External of the Students' Union at the University of Calgary, where I represent over 29,000 undergraduate students. I'm an international student. I've struggled with housing. I'm someone who wants to become a permanent resident here in Canada. I'm planning my future here in Calgary, and it's why I chose the University of Calgary. When I first started my degree, my best option was an overcrowded, mice-infested room in a basement. My last landlord was caught by a health inspector trying to rent me an asbestos-ridden rental. I couch-surfed for nearly a month, and all I got for that was a slight refund on my rent for that month. These are the options for students and we know they aren't going to magically improve once we graduate. My name's Bo Masterson. I live in Ward 14, and I'm the Executive Director of the Women's Centre of Calgary, which is situated in Ward 7. We have women sleeping in emergency waiting rooms with their children because they have nowhere else to go. We have been forced to send senior women out of their community, and even Calgary, because they're unable to find emergency shelter space in Calgary. In desperate moments, we have paid for hotel rooms for women and their children, only for the hotels to evict them the next day. We have worked with women who are harassed by their landlords and cannot leave because the rental market is so dire. We have talked with women who can't find rental accommodations because they are overtly discriminated against based on their gender, their gender expression, their race, their marital status, their sexual orientation, source of income, and as we have heard, their credit history. These are deplorable human rights violations that are happening every day in our city. Um, my name is Susan Gwen, and I am here on behalf of Poverty Talks. We have a city that says, you know, when it comes to tent cities, well, we'll just rip them out and move them on to nowhere that, to nowhere that has hope, nowhere that's a house, nowhere that's a home, because being a Calgarian means that you need to have a property tax bill. That's what it feels like to us. So we love the recommendations. We're never going to say no. On the other side of that, what are you doing for people today, today, that are going, some people I bet who are here, who are leaving here and going to what? So what, is, what does this do for today's people? It's great for three years down the road, but today we have tent cities. We have people without food, we have people without shelter, 
We have people without drinking water. We have people without clean underwear. My name is Lily Breslin. I'm 20 years old, and I'm a full-time student at the University of Calgary. And I've been in a tenant in the rental market since I was 16 years old. If we don't take action quickly, then students, university students, and kids who have to leave abusive homes are going to be living on the streets. And this is going to increase the drug and substance abuse problems we already face in this city. And more and more members of our population are going to enter that demographic, which is obviously going to make Calgary a less livable and a less sustainable city. We are currently living in a society where rent and buying houses, it's a survival of the richest environment. It's people, when I was applying for rental places, I've been looking, I looked the entire summer from July to August, and I'm lucky to be where I am now. But I, before I could even send messages, places were already gone for prices above what it was listed for. Rent control came up repeatedly during the meeting even though it's not within municipal jurisdiction, and the UCP has made it clear that they're opposed to it. Here's a lively exchange between Councillor Courtney Walcott and Build Calgary, the local home builders association. You're going to hear Walcott asking questions of two people from Build, Kathy Oberg and Graham Melton. Oberg runs B&A, a planning consultancy. And Melton is a VP for Melcor Developments, but here they're representing Build. Do some of your members operate their own buildings, especially those that uh, are renters and or purpose-built rentals? Um, we have some that have con- come into that that area. Um, certainly, it's not it's it, it's a small percentage of our of our developers and builders, but um, it is an area that they are um, certainly coming in and providing that supply. Uh, to the city. Okay. Within your, your membership and, and without just an industry-wide conversation, uh, do you believe that rent gouging is a real phenomenon? Yeah, it, it, that's a tough question to answer. We're not, we're not land, like our, our principal business isn't supporting and uh, advocating for landlords. I, I, I couldn't answer that one for you. The reason why I have to ask is because you're advocating to not uh, even have a discussion on rent control. And so I would assume that you would have looked into it if you're going to make the argument to not have a discussion on rent control. Uh, You've got to see the, the challenge as to why people are asking for it if you're going to argue against a proposed solution. And, I, and, and that's a fair question. I think we're, we're questioning how that affects supply. That wasn't the end of the exchange. And, and some of the amendments that we're asking for is we want to try to be valuable to the conversation to see if there's unintended consequences that in the end we can't, maybe the housing prices don't change on, on, you know, in some of the stuff we're providing, but we'd like to see it change. Then I, I got to ask why you would recommend not having the conversation. Which conversation? On About, rent control. Let's have the conversation after this. I think we need a strategy that needs to, to, to go in, but I think we're, we, need to, we need to know more about it. Another question that emerged in this meeting is how the housing strategy fits into other city plans. And as I was sitting there in council chambers, I was thinking about how it's easy to get very cynical about all this. Council approves grand, ambitious plans, then ignores them and falls miserably short of targets. This is true of the Municipal Development Plan, which was approved in 2009 and aims to shift half of all growth into established areas of the city. And then there's the city's climate plans, Council heard 
that if you want to take the climate strategy seriously, the housing strategy is important. Morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Joel Trebilowitz. So I'm a resident of Ward 11 in Lakeview, and I'm here representing the uh, City of Calgary's Climate Advisory Committee. In particular, uh, we support the adoption of the base RCG zoning across the city and removal of the minimum parking requirements for new developments. These policies have the potential to make a great positive impact both for affordability and reducing carbon emissions uh, from Calgary. Basically, you appointed us to provide advice on things like this, and our advice is emphatically yes. On the second day of the hearing, there were still people speaking in favour, but there was much more opposition, specifically when it comes to the rezoning. We'll hear that shortly, but first we're going to start with local journalist Jessica Barrett, who is currently writing a book about housing. This is not, as many have said, a simple issue of supply and demand. It is a complex issue of supply and demand. The forces behind the financialization of housing, which is treating housing as a financial asset rather than a social good, are infecting, they're global. They are infecting every city in the entire world, almost, and they are here in Calgary. Since moving here, I have spoken to realtors who have seen entire condo developments sold to speculators from out of town. I have spoken to developers who are frustrated that they can't build affordable housing due to economic constraints, and they know they're building homes for people who already have one, or two, or three, or more. We are so like addicted, culturally addicted to um, housing as an investment, as being your retirement fund, that people think nothing of you know, picking up an extra home and selling their lot and cashing out for the highest dollar. My name is Scott Laird. I live on Rideau Road, southwest in Ward 8. The current RC1 zoning is an attribute to our property that we value. If this proposal is approved in its current form, that attribute will be taken away from us without our consent. And if and that is perceived as self-serving, then so be it. We purchased our home in 1986 with the knowledge that the zoning was RC1. We've made significant financial investments in expanding the dwelling and maintaining it to the standards appropriate, in our view, for an RC1 community. We feel that if Council were to approve the blanket change to RCG, it could be viewed as an impairment to the value of our property without compensation. My name is Samantha Stokes, and I've provided submissions to Council both as a board member of the Alboya Britannia Community Association, as well as myself personally. Um, on behalf of our community association, um, we urge Council to, in particular, vote on each uh, task force recommendation separately. And in particular, we encourage Council to vote against blanket upzoning and removal of parking minimums. Inner city infrastructure was not designed for RCG neighbourhoods. It was designed for RC1 and with single families. As we've seen, for example, throughout Marta Loop, Altador and South Calgary, the introduction of denser forms leads to traffic congestion and associated issues with water, sewage and other utilities which were not designed for higher density. This imposes costs on all taxpayers. My name is Ken Young and I live in the community of Windsor Park. I believe that there is a path to a win-win that offers more and higher density housing while also preserving diversity of housing in this neighbourhood. Accelerate densification of community corridors and main streets. Accelerate development of underutilized land adjacent to McLeod Trail. 
It never ceases to amaze me that there is a city-operated city impound lot covering what I calculate to be about four hectares immediately adjacent to the 39th Avenue LRT. A couple of larger multi-unit residential buildings would provide as many households as a wall of row houses on every north-south street in Windsor Park with no displacement of current residents. My name is Tony Morrison. For the last 10 years, I've been the co-president of the Calgary River Communities Action Group, a not-for-profit volunteer society formed in the days after the 2013 floods. Upzoning will increase density, but may simply not address affordability to those folks most in need. This one recommendation is the nuclear option. We suggest the council take this generational decision to the people that elected it. It is much more significant to this city's future than whether another Olympic Games is held here. So let the people decide through a clear plebiscite or at the next election. If a new blanket zoning comes into effect, then houses are ripped down and thrown into the landfill. Then RCG allows for four units on a property which takes more wood, more resources. So why destroy what's already there? I've heard a lot of voices today that were people represented, representing the haves, the owners. I understand you own your homes, and that's great. I love that for you. But there are people that don't have that. And this is what the recommendations are trying to open the door for. Now we'll hear another citizen, Anthony Cox, getting into it with his counsellor, Richard Putmans. I would suggest that the social contract is more uh, about a homeowner buying a particular, buying in a particular neighbourhood to live in for often decades in our ward, Ward 6, where I'm one of your constituents, as you know, um, is based on their considered view of that they want to live in a certain way and that neighborhoods and, and that their neighbors agree to do so as well. That social contract of I, of I see this, I like this, I buy this, my neighbors want this too, we all want the same thing, is a social contract that predates this months, and I say months old debate by decades, at least. And that homeowner was there first. And we all know and understand that being there first should and does have meaning when it comes to land. And my last point is there is no exception or there is no expectation of that homeowner that the zoning of, of the area where he lives in will be randomly and broadly revisited and changed, making their chosen neighborhood unrecognizable and their long time chosen home unlivable or irrevocably devalued, compromising their financial well-being and leaving them no choice but to join the accelerating wave of community exodus involuntarily fleeing their chosen home and neighborhood. I guess I, I simply don't accept any of the above. I, we I, have that in common, Councillor. I don't accept your position either. It just, I think that change is inevitable. 30, 40,000 people a year coming to the city. If, if people are we, we're thinking about a leave it to beaver environment for the rest of their lives, that's not on the table. That can't exist. That, that simply is unre un, an unrealistic fa it's fantasy. It's part of the greater solution. On day three, council members put forward a bunch of different amendments to the strategy. Some succeeded, like a Putman's amendment to have City Hall commit to upgrading infrastructure alongside new housing builds. 
Gondik, meanwhile, proposed finding a city-owned site and using it to set up temporary, transitional housing for families in dire straits. Councillor Sharp suggested that the city set up two such sites, which Gondik agreed with, and this was approved unanimously by council members. Other amendments failed, like Councillor Jennifer Wynessa's proposal to allow towers with no height restrictions right by LRT stations, both ones that are already built and those that are slated to be built for the Green Line. And we don't need to think we're different than other major cities. Let's learn from their failures and catch up and do it. Vancouver is building high in its downtown core. Sunnyside is a prime location for high-density housing, and we're cutting it back because someone wants to live in a three-story house or a townhouse. That's not enough density for that area. It's unfortunate, but that area needs to be high-rise apartment blocks. Here's what Councillor Courtney Penner had to say about that. So I think if we're going to bring amendments forward, they need to be serious. They need to be based in policy. They need to be based in evidence. They don't need to be sensationalist. So I don't support this. Once the amendments were all done, Council ultimately approved the housing strategy in a 12-3 vote, with Councillors Chu, McLean, and DeMong voting against. The rumble over rezoning is still to come, when new land use bylaws come to Council for a public hearing and vote. I want to end this episode by letting you hear for yourself what your council members said in the course of debating the housing strategy. We're going to start with Mayor Gondek, followed by Councillors Peter DeMong and Sonia Sharp. One of our biggest challenges over time has been the inability to view housing as a holistic portfolio. As a city, we have spent a very long time focused on subsidized housing only, and then we slowly crept into looking at the impacts of homelessness all while we didn't really even focus at all on market-based housing. This housing strategy is finally getting us caught up to where we need to be. I don't believe this is a Made in Calgary problem, and I don't believe this is going to get solved by a Made in Calgary solution. As we just, we've heard that Edmonton had made some changes, they're still in a housing crisis. So does that mean this is going to solve it? No, I don't think so. I believe the provincial and federal governments are abrogating their responsibility to build purpose-built rentals for affordable housing like they did in the 60s and 70s. They're simply downloading yet another item for municipalities to deal with. I'm not a man of many words, so I'm going to be brief. Um, the vast majority of this plan, I'm, I'm all in favour in. Uh, as you know, I've got a problem with one item. My constituents have been extremely clear. They are <laughs> no, don't use that adjective. They are adamant that they don't want to be seeing, as a permitted use, the ability for a developer to build the equivalent of an eight-unit apartment complex on almost any uh, city lot. And I agree with them. We've heard from a lot of people on this. Overwhelmingly, the people I've heard from aren't opposed to density, they aren't opposed to affordable housing, and they aren't opposed to the strategy. They just want their democratic right to have a say in front of their elected official. And I want to be clear, I'm not opposed to density. I believe we absolutely need more RCG and we need more approvals and zoning in Calgary. This is not a debate on goals, it's about process. We can't cut the public out of a process. A public hearing ensures the community voice is heard and should not stop us from building more housing. Here's Councillor Courtney Penner 
the cognitive dissonance is outstanding. It has been demonstrated time and time again that this is part of a comprehensive solution. And if you are voting against this today, you are voting against the very things I hear consistently preached. Do more with less, cut red tape, keep taxes low, support and listen to citizens. And when you hear people say, we are stripping people of their voice and we are taking away their democratic process, the very reason we need to have this in our strategy is to allow administration to start a process to engage with the public. So if we are gonna deny administration the ability to start an engagement process, then followed by a full public hearing, then it's the people who vote no to this that are actually denying the public their, vo their voice. Here's Councillor Andre Chabot, followed by Councillors Giancarlo Carra, Dan McLean, and Courtney Walcott. I can tell you many of those folks who sent me an email we're, we're afraid to come before council to voice their opinion because of how they would be viewed by the public and by members of council. And frankly, I, I kind of share their concern. I can tell you that for many terms, I ran on, on the basis of that I would oppose secondary suites because that's what my community wanted. And each one of those times when I ran on that platform, I, went, I, I won with an overwhelming majority in my area. Now, my area has changed significantly, so I don't necessarily have the same sense of the pulse of the community that I did in, for those terms. But I'm more than willing to go out there and engage with my community to get a better understanding on, on what their perception is of what they would like to see their community be for the future. Members of council and members of the public advocating a no vote or some or all of these measures have to bring their A game when it comes to making the argument why we shouldn't accept the bylaws when they come. And we have to hear much, much better arguments than the arguments that we've heard. Arguments that will not wash are ones that ignore misinterpret, equivocate fundamental principles of economics or worse, the basic truth blatantly contradict themselves in weird and obtuse ways. For example, we can't make the argument that we're losing value and spiking prices in the exact same measure. We can't grant more rights to homeowners and strip homeowners of rights at the same time, or that we're preventing pitting neighbors against each other by upholding a system that's based on pitting neighbors against each other or that RCG is too radical a change as well as not being significant enough to solve the problem. Getting back to my residents and what I've heard from other people, there's just some things that they don't support. And I said, I've listed some uh, percentages before, and the biggest one that we all know is the, uh, the blanket up zoning or parking minimums. Um, if I really, really thought that those two policies were going to make homes more affordable, I would be all in on this, 100%, because there's so many things that I do support. Anyone who is concerned about their constituents I want to remind them of what our job is. Our code of conduct does not say do what our constituents want us to do. It does not say do what those who voted for us want us to do. It says do what is in the best interest of the city. That is our job. 
So even if it means going home to our wards and we're having a very difficult conversation, we have to act in the best interest of the city. And I believe that is what we are doing today. Even if when we leave this room, it's going to be uncomfortable. Councillor Evan Spencer talked about the ancient Jewish practice of a Jubilee year. The way they structured their society, they had this year of Jubilee where every seven years they would reset the home ownership, the property ownership deck, um, so that you didn't end up with generational um, inequalities years over years over years and, and getting worse and worse and all the conflict and the consternation that comes with that. Well, this yes for me is very easy because today feels like a little micro jubilee where resetting um, some of the economic inequality that exists in this city with policy. Uh, and that doesn't, I have zero hesitation on that front. We should be spending money on this. We should be knocking down barriers on this. We're going to end with Councillor Jasmine Meehan, who seemed to sum it all up. The last couple of days have been really fascinating to me. Um, we need uh, a lot more spaces for people to live. And this task force has recommended that we implement some of the gentlest forms of density that are seen all around the world. Over the last number of days, I have watched economists argue against the theory of or law of supply and demand. Climate activists argue for sprawl. A DEI expert argue against inclusion. And a lawyer argue that lawmakers can't make laws all so that their neighbor cannot make a single fam- anything other than a single family home next to their single family home. Colleagues, the people that elected us have preferences and they have needs. Preferences are important and we should absolutely try to do what people prefer when we can, but we cannot allow the preferences of some constituents for things like shadowing and parking to prevent others from having a roof over their head. Base RCG, which is the most contentious thing in this whole plan, if we even get to a public hearing on it, gets us max like 1,500 units a year. And people are calling it a nuclear option. Like we need about 50,000 new homes, like minimum, if we're gonna absorb that type of growth that we're expected to see over the next number of years. And so people will say, okay, great. Well, like, let's not do it then. It's not a silver bullet solution. Some people are gonna be really mad about it. So let's not even have the conversation. But that's exactly why we're in the problem we're in. Because we need to pull every possible lever that we can. And we need all levels of government to pull them because there's no single policy solution that's gonna solve the housing crisis. It's the systematic and collective failure to make small and incremental changes over years and years that have led us to this point. And with all respect to the task force and to admin, this strategy is like taking a glass of water, dipping it into an Olympic-sized swimming pool, and instead of accepting that strategy and asking how we fill that glass back up again, we have spent the entire morning arguing over drops. And so at the risk of sounding horribly pessimistic after some of my colleagues have said some very inspiring things, I'm not asking us to start winning this battle. Let's just stop failing so badly. End of line. Thanks for listening and see you again soon. been listening to Sprawlcast. My name is Jeremy Clausus and I'm the editor-in-chief of The Sprawl. Make sure to sign up for The Sprawl's weekly newsletter. That's the best way to follow what The Sprawl is up to. And you can sign up for that newsletter on our website at sprawlcalgary.com. 
This episode was edited by Mike Todd. Our theme music is by Dandy Augustino and Kenny Murdoch. Our C-Train narrator is Holly McConnell. Thanks for listening and see you next time. Hey, if you appreciate this kind of in-depth Calgary journalism, make sure to sign up as a Sprawl member and support the work we do. Most of our members pitch in a few dollars a month so we can keep at this. You can sign up at sprawlcalgary.com.